God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. He said five services, and I immediately said, finally, I get to go plant a church on a beach somewhere. Five services would probably kill me. I don't know if it would, but it might. Um, hey, my name is Ben. It's good to see you guys. So glad that you're here with us. If you are a guest in the room, we just always want you to know that you're such a welcome guest here. Um, I say this every time I get up here, but it's just not lost on us that you got out of bed this morning on a day off and came to church and came to a new church, which is all, always a little stressful, getting to meet new people, figure out why, why this church says things the way that they do, or who is this guy up here that is eight foot tall and sounds like you, you know, grew up on the bayou. I mean, um, all of those questions, all those things, not lost on me that you showed up today. And, um, and so look, we love you guys. We're really glad that you're here. If you have questions about the church, like Mark said, uh, we would love to answer any questions you have. So there's people that you came with that can help you do that, but then also we'll do coffee and questions um, and we'll have somebody at that door to kind of help direct traffic and, and show you where to go after the service. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been preaching through this book for a long time. It's been about a year. I mean, 50-something weeks that we've been preaching through uh, 1 Corinthians. Now, this book is actually a letter written to a church 2,000 or so years ago, um, a church in a place called Corinth. It was Greco and Roman. It was Greece and Rome together along with a lot of Jewish people and it was a very interesting place. They had done a lot of things uh, backwards. And uh, God put a church right in the middle of kind of this hotbed of all of these cultural ideals. So you had the Greco ideals, the uh, uh, great philosophies of life, wisdom. They really valued wisdom and philosophy. They worshipped it. Uh, they had their own pantheon of gods. Then you had Roman ideals, and, and they worshipped gods as well. They had a pantheon of gods as well. And and, but they really worshiped kind of brute strength and government. And a lot of the things that we uh, use in government today, we, we got some from um, the, the Roman government, the, that Roman civilization. And then all of that mixed together with Jews, with people that were said that they followed God, but they don't believe in Jesus. And so that's all kind of craziness, all mixed together. A lot of hedonism, um, a lot of just temples in that place. And right in the middle of that, God plants a church full of people that don't believe in any of that. They only believe in one God, not a pantheon of gods. They believe in one, and they believe that they should uh, abstain from having any sort of sexual immorality outside of marriage. So this is like a radical thing that's happening here. And they really struggled, as you can imagine. They were new Christians. This was pretty close to the time 
uh, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, and most people were struggling to believe that he had been raised from the dead, uh, just as like it happens here today. There's a lot of us that think, like culturally, yeah, that sounds good, the resurrection, but I don't know if I fully believe that Christ was bodily raised from the dead. Well, that was happening in this church as well. There were so many things that had to work through, and we're at the tail end now of this letter to the Corinthians. Paul, by God, through God, Paul has been sent now to help them stay on track, to learn, to help teach them, like, hey, stay on track. You are a Christ follower. That means something. What that means is you don't get to just do what you think or remake God in another way, rebuild another God. There's only one God. And we have to go to him to see how we go about living. And as a matter of fact, as one guy put it, uh, he wrote in the Wall Street Journal on Easter years ago, he said, if there is a man that claims to be resurrected, that's one thing. But if he was actually resurrected from the dead, we should all listen to that man. We should listen to him. And that's what Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to see is like, Christ was raised. And you know what? Because you belong to Christ, you should actually listen to the man that defeated death. I mean, defeated death, because I'm here to tell you, and this is going to get dark before it gets better, because we have to go to a place today that's so important, and that is this place. If a man claims to have defeated death, we need to listen to this guy. We need to listen to him, because death is the ultimate equalizer. Everybody here will die. You will. It doesn't matter. We have, people have made millions of dollars trying to figure out how to not die sooner than others. <laughs> Some, I still don't know what wheatgrass is. I don't know what, how people make wheatgrass smoothies for their health. Anybody ever, that was a fad like about 10 years ago. Drink wheatgrass, you're gonna make it. <laughs> I mean, even with like, modern advancements in technology, we still have not figured out how to prolong our life. Anybody ever think about this stuff? Death happens to everybody. Steve Jobs died. Nobody's smarter in our generation as far as I know. Steve Jobs himself, the guy that like is a technological wizard who could figure out all types of ways for our life to be made easier. I mean, put a computer in our hand there are things that I don't know. Google is amazing, by the way. It's also super scary. I can literally type into Google, explain this to me, and now there are, there's artificial intelligence, which, hello, you figure, we wouldn't, you figure we'd have learned from all the Terminator movies that we probably shouldn't mess around with artificial intelligence? <laughs> Show of hands, how many people's home router is named Skynet? <laughs> Terminator reference. You figure we'd have learned by now we shouldn't mess around with this stuff. But I'm telling you, technology, I mean, the things that we have at our disposal right now, it doesn't matter what we have. I mean, multiple systems, corporations that are built around you trying to be healthy. But the ultimate thing is like it doesn't work. I mean, it, I'm all for you being healthy. I'm, I told everybody last time I preached, I just got back in the gym, you know, feeling good, super sore all the time. Um, I'm all for you being healthy. Go to the gym, work out, whatever. It doesn't matter, though, because you're still going to die. Be healthy. Prolong. Treat your bodies well. And here's the thing is 
the great equalizer, death for us, what Paul is trying to get them to see is that you're, it's not just, you don't just treat your bodies a certain way or other people's bodies a certain way because you're trying to cheat the system. You treat it that way because of one reason, because your body was given to you to worship God. See, that's the difference. We can't prolong the inevitable. So we're staring in the face of this thing. And what does it do to us? What does it do to you? I know what it does to me. I mean, I, growing up, I, there was a time, I don't know if it's still this way, but there was a time where it was like illusionists, magicians, um, they had like prime time spots on Saturday night in TV. You ever, anybody ever remember David Copperfield? We don't know how he did it, but that fool made a pyramid disappear somehow. And then it was back, you know, right after the show stopped. All illusionists. And the, one of the things that was like, it's so fun for our family to sit around and watch, watch these guys, Harry Houdini. I mean, there's been a lot of people, but you watch them perform illusions. And we get so fascinated with death. As soon as they would do this trick where they would put on a straight jacket and be thrown in the water. And now it's all of a sudden, the tone has changed a little bit. You ever wonder why? There's an intensity there. It's like, can he do it? Can he escape death? I know it's a silly illustration, but there's something that wraps us up in trying to figure out this thing about life and death. What Paul is going to say is that for the Christian, you are the first people in the history of the world that don't have to cower to death. The first ones in the history of the world that don't have to cower to death. Why? Because through Christ, through his work, through his death, he now holds the keys that unlock the door to how do we break through this life without having everlasting death. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thanks be to Christ. Through him, we have the power. We have overcome death because of what he has done. He's telling us something that's totally reversal of the usual take on death. Doesn't have the same power, doesn't have the same eventual power for us as it does for everyone else. And I believe today it's so important for us as we wrap up, we've got this sermon and one more on 1 Corinthians and then we'll be done. I, and there's a reason why Paul is letting it end where it is. I believe that it's so important. I believe that should change the way that we function in life. The resurrection of Christ should mean something for the way that you treat yourself and the way that you treat the people around you. It matters a lot. So we're gonna jump in. If you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you showed up today and you haven't been following Jesus or, or you want to and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. All right, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we have to talk about this because what we know is that the Corinthians thought that their bodies and spirits should be separate, that actually the human body doesn't matter. And what Paul comes along, he says the human body actually does matter. And Jesus is actually proof of that because Jesus himself, who has forever existed, he came in a body. And he now still has a body. So that's an interesting thought because our idea of heaven and life after death is that we go and be some kind of weird spirit that sits on a cloud and plays a harp all the time. Which I want to have nothing to do with heaven, by the way, if that's the reality for us, which it's not. We're going to talk about a little bit later. But we have this idea that Jesus just died and now he's just spirit. But actually what it is, is after his death, we know that he had a physical body, 
because he showed Thomas the scars on his hand. This is resurrected Christ. He sat down on the beach and cooked a meal with Peter. He ate food. So what does it mean now for the resurrected Christ and for us to have a body that actually matters, that's not just going to go away and we're going to change into something else? We are going to change, but it's still going to be very much us. We've been learning about that over the past two or three weeks, and we have all these sermons online. You can go to frontlinechurch.com forward slash Shawnee and find our sermons if you want to learn more about that. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We know for sure that he can't mean literal flesh and blood because he's just proven that we, flesh and blood, do inherit the kingdom of God. So in order to know what he's talking about here, we have to go back to history a little bit. By flesh, he literally means our flesh, our sin, which came about when Adam and Eve broke the law of God. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, he said to them, you can eat of anything in the whole garden except for this one tree. What was the name of the tree? The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it had to do with decisions about morality, about the eternal consequence of death and life in the universe. That is reserved for God, not for us. They listened to the enemy, to the serpent. He said, did God actually say? He questioned automatically, are you sure? Because this sounds stupid. This wasn't so much, they knew exactly what God said. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 3, Eve recited what God said. Yes, he said, we can eat of any tree except for this one. If we eat of that one tree, we will surely die. So the enemy has said, the serpent said, did he actually say that? And she said, yeah, that's exactly what he said. And then he comes back to her and he said, no, he's lying. You will not surely die. When you eat of the tree, when you try to be like God, you become like God, which was actually what the serpent's whole game was anyway and still is today. And it's what we do, by the way. This is another sermon, but that's what we do. We just try to be like him. We try to make up things. We try to dictate our world. We try to have authority over heaven and earth. When ultimately it's like God's actually the only one that's sovereign and has all power. You don't. Which is why it matters that the Bible tells us to not be anxious He's smarter than you, he's better than you, he's more moral than you, he's more heroic than you, he's more powerful. We need him to be God and not us. Genesis 3 is that moment when Adam and Eve said, our our ultimate mom and dad, so we can be as God. And then what happened was the world was cursed because of that one sin. It's the sin. The fall comes in. The fall of humanity. We're no longer a part of Christ. We're no longer in the garden, in this new and beautiful place. We're no longer, we're no longer one with Jesus, one with the Spirit, one with the Father in the same way we were then. It's severed. And we actually walk into this more unnatural state. It's the flesh. It's how we Start envying each other. That didn't exist before the fall. It's how we become jealous. It's how we don't outdo one another in showing honor. It's how we steal and we kill people and we get mad and we become self-absorbed. That's because of the fall. So what he's saying here is that flesh entered into humanity when the fall happened. This is what Paul is saying. I tell you this, brothers, brothers, The fall cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
flesh and blood, your sinful nature cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can your perishable body. How can your perishable body, which we just talked about, will surely die one day, how can that inherit everlastingness? I I don't know if that's a word, but we, we just invented a word. Accomplished today. How can that inherit everlastingness, foreverness? How can your perishable body that will die inherit that? Because of the flesh, we get separated from God. What Paul is saying is that our corruptible flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God because it's perishable. Something has to happen in order for us and our bodies to inherit the kingdom of God and become imperishable. This is so important today. This is so important. Look, I know it's hot in here. Um, I'm so sorry about that, but I'm gonna ask you, and look, I'm gonna ask you to really pay attention because this thing today, I think, really changes the outlook of the way that we live our life. How can we inherit the kingdom of God? Here's what Paul says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, pay attention, those are important things, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. First thing I want you to do is stop being scared of the word mystery. There are things about God, there are things about our history, there are things about our our present and our future that we just cannot understand because we're God. When Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery, we need to be okay with something being mysterious. He says, we shall not all sleep. I love this. This is the way early Christians described death. We have similar terms. We say things like he passed away or whatever it is. I actually prefer the way they did it. Sleeping insinuates that you will wake up. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment In the twinkling of an eye, the perishable will put on imperishable. So that's important. The trumpet will sound, he says. So I want you to pay attention to a few things. This is fast. I don't know exactly how fast the twinkling of an eye is, but I know it's not some long, drawn-out battle. (laughs) And I know this, that God has all authority, that Christ himself has all authority and power in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So how Revelation depicts him coming back is on a white horse with a sword. He's a conqueror now. And he comes back to claim his people from the four corners of the earth, those who have died and those who currently live. All of those people. This is not gonna be a long battle. I don't know what you've watched in Hollywood or what you've read or what you think. There's not gonna be some long process where Christ has to fight for us. The battle is done. It's a done deal. Signed, sealed, delivered. It's over. He won the battle. He won it. He defeated death, has the keys to it. He's coming back as the conqueror who comes back to claim his bride forever. That's the tension we live in now is that Christ has won and he also will win. You understand what I'm saying? It's the already, it's happening. Christ says, inaugurate the kingdom of God and it will happen fully when he comes back. It says in a twinkling of an eye, a trumpet will sound. 
You know what trumpets were in this day and age? It was really culturally significant. When someone blew a trumpet, it signified a few things. One, it could have been the start of a religious ceremony for sure. Um, or it could have been the, at the start or the end of a battle. But primarily what it was was an announcement. You've seen this maybe in movies. Trumpet sounds and the king has returned. That's what Paul is saying here. The trumpet will sound, and that's how you'll know in the twinkling of an eye, Christ has returned to restore this place, to bring out all of those who have gone asleep before him. For those of us that are still awake, still alive at that moment, we will all meet with him. And he'll establish his kingdom forever in a new heavens and new earth. Exodus talks about a loud trumpet blasting before Moses took the people to Mount Sinai to announce God's presence on the mountaintop. Zechariah 9, uh, the end of history is prophesied where the Lord God will sound the trumpet. Isaiah 27, God's people will be gathered from the four corners of the earth on that great day. The bottom line is this, is that the trumpet will sound, the king will return to fully and completely and finally and forever establish his kingdom on earth. And if you have trusted Christ, no matter how good or bad you think you are at trusting Christ, you are sealed in that reality forever at that moment. So here's what it means for us. No more depression. No more anxiety. No more wavering back and forth. No more um, brokenheartedness. No more insecurity. No more lack of faith. No more sickness, no more disease, no more funerals. Come on. No more fear or temptation, no more abuse. No more belittlement or anger or jealousy and no more shame. It's done, it's forever over at that moment. This right here, this reality puts all of our eschatology to the test. And by eschatology, I mean whatever your belief is in the end times. It puts it to the test. For the Christian, it's no longer acceptable for us in reality of this, in light of this, to view the end times or our eschatology to let it be dictated by Hollywood. Because it matters greatly now. It's just, we're not just sitting here playing the waiting game. It's not just up for us to go and wait and hide and hope for the best and wait to be kind of sucked off planet Earth? No, if God's coming to restore the new heavens and new earth and bring Jerusalem back down to earth with a new leader, a new king, and if we are citizens of that place under his authority forever, well, that changes everything about the way that we do life now. He will return in the flesh. Our, the earth will not end. It will be changed. Our bodies will not end. They will be changed. This means something. It means that we're not annihilated. It means that there is an actual heaven and an actual hell. So if you believe that, how does that change the way that you live your life now? I mean, if you truly believed it, if you truly believed that hell is real, that heaven is real, that we will be restored, that we will be redeemed, that our bodies matter, how would that change the way that you function in your work spot, in your neighborhood, at your school? One day the devil will end himself. 
So will all of his tricks and all the byproducts of his deception, the curse, the fall, and it will happen quickly in the twinkling of an eye. Christ has all authority and power. Nobody's going to stand up to him. He says this in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, this saying, death is swallowed in victory. Death, where? Show me. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting? What a reversal. Death has been mocking humanity throughout history. The one thing that makes us afraid that we cannot get past, that we're so intrigued by, that eats our lunch, that makes us spend way too much money on diet fads or whatever and wheatgrass, that death has been mocking us forever. Death itself has made so much money from humanity. Now, because of the reality of Christ, we mock death. Where is your victory, death? You promised victory. You thought you had it. Where is it? Where is your sting, death? Where? If it's true that Christ, the man and God, both defeated and stung death forever, if it's true that he holds the keys to life and death, where is the victory that you think you have, death? Show it to me. I belong to a man that has claimed victory over you and he's proven it because he raised from the dead. That's what I belong to. How should we live our lives in light of that fact? What does it do for the way that you function in your life? It changes us. It gives us confidence in Christ to say, you know what, I'm a mess sometimes, but I belong to Jesus and he holds the keys to hell and death. Holds the keys to him. It runs through him now. And the best news of all time is that I can't not belong to him. If I belong to him, that is sealed forever. That my fate is completely sealed. And the other best news is he's way better than any of us anyway. <laughs> I'm so glad that I didn't, nobody gave me the keys to hell and death. I would be, I'd be the first one that's messed up and then all of us would be too. Christ is so faithful and steady. He's not like us. He's different. Nothing changes his demeanor towards us. He's the same. Isaiah 25 says this when it talks about the end of time and that final day for us. And this is what that, oh death, where is your victory? And death is swallowed up in victory. This is what it references in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a, re a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Well and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. How many of us know that when God speaks, it happens? How did we get light? How did we get breath? How did the earth get formed? God spoke it. When he speaks, it happens. It will be said on this day, behold, this is our God. 
We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord that we have waited for him. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice because we're saved. That's why. Seen for every Christian on that day of Christ's return is not something to be afraid of. Growing up, I, I used to pray at night, Lord, if you're gonna come back, please don't let it be tonight. I think I'm too sinful. I literally would pray that and I would go to bed just hoping, I would say, Lord, all the sins that I did today, if you come back in my sleep, I'm sorry for them. And all the ones that I can't remember, forgive me for those too. And then if in just in some, you know, in my dreams or whatever, if I have something that's remotely sinful, would you go ahead and forgive me or that? And then we'll, do, we'll run this back tomorrow night and hopefully if I can just keep up with that, then if he comes back when I'm sleeping, then I'll be okay. That doesn't sound like a God with any power at all. What kind of power does he have if we just lose our salvation like losing the keys to our car? He will return one day and it's joyful for the Christian. It's sealed in him. This is a day for the Christian to look forward to and rejoice. There will be a great feast throughout all eternity. Jesus will be our host in the flesh, at the table with us. And it says that he will, Revelation says that he will personally wipe away every tear from our eye. That's big news. Where is your victory? Where is your sting, O death? It's possible because of Christ, and that's the gospel. The gospel is this. This is real. We, I, this is something that we say every Sunday here. Not this literal thing, but we say the gospel every Sunday because this book, the point of it is for you to hear the news of Jesus. Christ did what you can never do. Never. And he also got what you deserved. And then you get what he deserves. So in the gospel, Christ gets what only you deserve. You understand that? And then we get what only he deserves. We deserve death. We deserve that. We deserve to die for the things that we did and and Christ never actually sinned. We deserve it. He got it. And then he deserves the eternal feast. He deserves to be scarless. But he's not, he has scars because of the work that he's done. What we get is the eternal feast. This is the gospel. This is how good God is. Christ has done the unthinkable thing. He's done the unthinkable thing and the resurrection is proof that it worked. It worked. Death has no sting. It doesn't have the same grip on us anymore. I lost, I lost, I mean, sorry. I read a story about a man whose daughter was about to get stung by a bee. She was like, Screaming, he heard this screaming. All these people, his daughter was running through the woods and this bee was chasing her and was about to sting her. And he runs ahead of the crowd. He grabs his daughter, gives her a big bear hug, <laughs> covers her up, and she, she feels him wince. The bee stung the man. And what he tells her is this. He says, it's okay, my darling. Apparently this is a British man. It's okay, my darling. The bee has stung me instead of you, and bees don't sting twice. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's okay, my son, my daughter. Death has stung me instead of you, and death doesn't sting twice. 
The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're saying here, sin is a byproduct of our spiritual death. We died, we were born naturally into it. We were born into death, into sin. We died at the fall and sin is the result. Sin's power is manifested in the law. What the law did, well, the, the law actually just pointed us that we can't fulfill it. <laughs> it actually pointed out our weakness. That's what the law has done. We so obviously can't keep the law of God and it actually points to sinfulness all the more. Why does any of that matter? Why not just wait it out and hide in a hole somewhere and hope for the best one day when Christ returns and because of this, it's so simple. Therefore, because of all of this truth, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, neighbor, your labor is not in vain. What does it mean for us now? It means be steady. For those of you who are struggling to believe and struggling to walk in belief, be steady. Be reminded today, Christ was raised from the dead. He holds the keys to death. You can actually walk in joy. That's my prayer for myself, is that I would walk in faith and walk in joy. That I would be a rejoicing person. <laughs> Last night, I, it was about nine o'clock, and I'd, I'd had a long week, and I just was... I just was struggling to like, it was so late, and I was struggling to get my heart wrapped around today. And preaching this sermon, and I, and I had done the work, had, you know, done the thought work, and, and read and thought, and read and thought, read and thought, and it just, you know, sometimes it's just tough to get your heart engaged, and I'm like, what is wrong with me that I can't get engaged in one of those most profound, joyful texts in all of Scripture? Death has lost its victory. So I went on a walk and had worship music playing in, in my ear. And I just was like, Lord, help me know how to say this. Help me know like what, help me know how to say what you've written, what the reality. And I really need to get in my bones, like help me believe it. And right about that time, this part of this song, which I hadn't been really paying much attention, but it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I wanted to know like, what does this mean for us? Like, what are we what is the resurrection of the body? What is the resurrection of Christ? What is death having lost its thing? What does it mean for us now and in the future? And this bridge came up that we sing a lot. I've asked Grace to put it on the screen. All the hopeless come to Jesus and let the dead come back to life. Can you hear your people singing hallelujah? There's one more line. This is our prayer now because of the resurrection. Let your glory fill this city. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, can you hear your people singing hallelujah? This is real for us. This is real for the Christian because now we can say yes. It is without a doubt a fact. All the tribes of men will come and bow down before God. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. The city can be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God because of the work that Jesus has done. I know so many people in this room, and I'm telling you, and even if I don't know you, I know the tears that you've cried, a lot of you. At some point when Jesus returns, those tears will be physically, literally, and forever wiped away. You will be totally and completely satisfied for the first time in your life 
fruit will taste better, food will taste better, everything will be better, everything will be as it's supposed to be, the garden will be restored. So, man, we should be people that sing, we should be people that rejoice, we should be people that say, all the hopeless come to Jesus. Do you need hope? Come to him, he's the one that gives hope. Amen? Let's stand together.